0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's Lounge with the CWE. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with Louise. Hi. And Bria. Hi. And on this week's episode, we will be talking about what we're doing to sustain ourselves during quarantine, um, the hot gossip for this week. Our topic, our our couch conversation is going to be about K-pop and the K-pop industry. And we're going to also answer a question from an Emory
1: student. Right, so Stephanie, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to?
0: Um, So I just finished The Boys season two. It was super, super intense and scary. And I gasped like out loud a lot. And my roommates were all just like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I'm watching The Boys, you guys. Um, I've been rewatching New Girl because I need something to bring my spirits up. I've also been rewatching Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender. Because if you don't know, we have a series on our Instagram Live called Chanel Reacts. And she's been reacting to Avatar the Last Airbender, which means I have to rewatch it to keep myself updated. Um, I've been listening to Rina Sawayama's album called Rina, you know, the queen of um, Japanese-British pop, hyper-pop. She's amazing. Um, and obviously, I've been listening to a lot of Drake And I've been listening to a lot of SZA. I don't know why. I think it's like the whole Mercury thing going on. You know, I've been really in my feelings.
1: So SZA, it is. All right, Louise. What you're watching? What you're reading? What you're listening to?
2: Okay. Um, I just finished rewatching Thirty Rock for the second time. Um, and when I watched as a kid, I remember hating it so much because I was like, "This depends on stereotypes so much." And then I realized that like it's kind of smart. Like they show stereotypes but then they kind of like challenge the idea that we need to like work against stereotypes they're just kind of like why why do we let ourselves be affected by them in the first place blah blah whatever I'm explaining this really poorly but it's very interesting um the politics of representation are very interesting in that show uh I'm reading Jhumpa Lahiri's The Namesake I haven't gone very far but it's like a series of short stories and I'm listening to Haley Williams' solo album which came out earlier this year I hated it but now time has passed I've suffered and now I really like it
0: why is this a what? reoccurring trend for you, Elise? What do you mean? <laughs> Things And then coming back to them and then liking them.
2: It's like, like what the is progression. That? Like you like grow with these like works, you know? In the span of what? Like <laughs> two or
0: three months? Like? No, it's okay.
2: of like March. And like, I really just like got into it recently.
1: Wait, hold on. So, okay, so, like, four or five months, basically, instead yeah. of two or three months. Okay.
2: Because I wasn't, like, you know, sad enough when it first came out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the beginning of quarantine didn't didn't have you sad enough to really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, Bria, what are you watching, reading, and listening to? Mine are never as fancy as anybody else's. <laughs> but I'm watching uh, Scary Shorts on YouTube. I really like watching uh, Scary Shorts short like movies or short stories or whatever. Cause sometimes I'll do like the audio readings of them too. So I like watching those um, and it's spooky season. So I have to be fully invested in spooky stuff. Um reading a whole bunch of papers. That's all I do. I'm working on my thesis. So I'm just working, reading like meditation papers and scientific papers. So that's not really that interesting. Um, what am I listening to uh, on the topic? of k-pop i've been listening to actually for the past couple of days nct's new album Mm -hmm. (laughs) residents i am i like them i'm not the biggest fan but i like them enough to listen to their new album there's 23 of them so you know 23 unique voices on the album (laughs) but yeah that's what i've been listening to lately I don't know if we're going to get into NCT later, but let me just say, I'm not <laughs> the biggest fan. They call them construction music, basically, like construction music.
0: Okay, I just uh, don't understand the concept of, like, these mega groups.
2: It's like copying the, like, J-pop style, and I I,
0: I just, I'm not a fan of it at all. And then they're, they try to separate, people. they try to separate these big-ass groups into smaller subgroups. What is that? Yeah. Uh, what is that?
1: It makes no sense. That's them being they know. lazy. The company is being lazy. <laughs> that I okay. think they know, it doesn't
0: make sense. <laughs> Thank you for that, Bria. So now we're going to transition into the hot gossip. What is the hot gossip? Tell me everything.
2: All right, everyone. What is the hot gossip of the day? Why don't we start with you, Stephanie?
0: All right. The VP debates happened a couple of days ago. Let's talk about Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. You know, Kamala out here she really be representing like the liberal democratic party where she was like, who said ban fracking? And I was like, I said ban fracking. And she was like, no, we're not going to ban fracking. I'm like, y'all, so y'all really don't care about the environment like that. Okay, cool. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of her answers. Well, I feel both of their answers, like they none of them were actually answering the moderator's questions. Right. They're just talking directly to the camera being like, you need to vote. Um, he's getting my track record all wrong. But then at the end of the day, you're like, Kamala, you are a cop. Like, you really are a cop. So I don't know. And the fact that the Biden campaign deadass, like, pulled out that fly swatter into their merch minutes after that fly landed on Pence's head, I was like, how much more of, like, our money can you take? Y'all really want to pander and talk about this fly? But how much of your actual policies are going to help the American people? I just think it's
2: like so gross that like the presidential election is so big on just spectacle. Like no one cares about what the people are saying, including the actual candidates. They don't care about what they're saying. And like they don't care about the actual people. They only care about the people giving them money. And it's just ridiculous to me. Like, What has this country's politics come
0: to? I mean, that's always been the country's politics. Well, I, I don't know, it wasn't are- a lot back <laughs> then. People are just like realizing it more now that it's all like essentially pandering. It's like now it because it's so it's so much more clear how, like you said, it was it's so much of a spectacle, people are very much I think people are way more critical of it now and understanding that this two party system does not represent the actual needs of the people, but represents the needs of like the elite class or the Mm -hmm. ruling class that can fund the electoral politics. And like the way that they run their campaigns on not what like people are actually advocating for, but on like the needs of, whoever is funding their campaigns, which is also really frustrating. The goal is never to like, what is going to benefit the people the most? But now the goal is like, what can I say to let me win this election? And that's really frustrating. So yeah, this debate, these debates are all just really like depressing to me.
2: I have to admit, I haven't watched either debate because I know I'm who I'm going to vote for. And I also know that I don't really care about what he says because he probably doesn't represent me anyway. Um, but that's I just feel like that's so disappointing. I I yeah, I just like wish that we would get rid of this two party system. I think that Electoral College should probably be gotten rid trash. of too. I just like it's all trash. But like the people with the power don't seem to care about getting rid of these systems. So nothing is going to change.
0: And they don't want them to change. It's keeping them in power. Why would they want these structures to change? I'm just tired. <laughs> Who is Amber? Okay, Louise, what's your hot goss?
2: All right, on a lighter note, um, Simon Liu, the actor from Kim's Convenience, the TV show, and he's also one of the new Avengers, I believe. He's
0: Chang Lee, the newest Avenger, the only Avenger of Asian-American descent.
2: Yes, that. I don't know superheroes or Marvel at all, but he came to Emory. You're right, yeah, he is asian Canadian. He came to Emory as a part of ASO's event, um, Chatter That Matter the chatter that matters and I went to the event um and he was actually super down to earth he spent like 40-50 minutes talking about his journey to where he was he discussed like being the average Asian Canadian I guess you know just like going to college being a kind of nerd um going to B-school because his parents wanted him to, and then getting a really good job at a company. But then he got laid off and he was like, you know, I hated that job anyway. Let me pursue something else. And his parents actually like pulled out all their support from him. And there were there was some time where they just really didn't talk. And it was like a very moving story. You know, it, it had a lot of like redemption and failure and then like gaining parents acceptance, but also like gaining ac- acceptance of the self. And there was like a Q&A section after he spoke. And all everybody was like, what's your ab workout routine? And I was like, oh my God, like he really just spent 50 minutes talking about his life and everyone is just like, I mean, they basically were just sexualizing him, right? Like if this were like Megan Fox, this is the same thing as being like, hey Megan, like what's your waist to hip ratio or whatever? Like it's just not relevant at all. And I was like horrified. I think there were a total of like maybe three questions that had to do with his career or his family or the stories that he talked about but all the rest were about his body and his workouts. And I was really just like so horrified. And like some people were like chatting me at the same time and they were like, wow, I'm really embarrassed of Emery right now. And I want to apologize to him.
1: Yeah. That's super embarrassing. I also saw on his Twitter that he actually tweeted um, that day. And he was like, if you have any questions about my body or anything about fitness, he was like, I can't give you the best advice, but he, he tagged like his personal trainer and nutritionist and he was like they could give you the good info he was like all i could tell you is to go for a run or something oh my god pizza it was emery
2: who drove him to make that tweet that's so terrible okay bria what what's your hot gossip of the day
1: uh my hot gossip has to do with a guy named jay he's from a group a k-pop band called day six who's under jyp um So Jay is a little special because he has his own Twitter account and that's something that's not like typical for K-pop artists to have. So he has his own Twitter account that he like manages all by himself and he basically interacts with fans a lot. And so something that happened this past weekend was um, he was doing a Twitch stream. And so a bunch of people from a different fandom were coming in his chat and asking, like, where if um, their favorite like members of their group are there. And he got annoyed um, and he gave a sarcastic response. And then people were trying to trash his boss, whose name is like short, like his acronym for his name is JYP. Um, so they were trashing his boss and he basically got frustrated with all the fans in his chat and he kind of not really lashed out. It was super mild. Uh, but he went back on his Twitter and it kind of continued there. And he was like, I wish people could try to understand sarcasm. Um, and he was trying to like, say like, you know, he was being sarcastic during the Twitch stream. And so somebody basically replied under it and was like, I'm neurodivergent. Um, and so something he replied to it and it seemed, I can't say if he did or not, but it seemed like he didn't understand why they were bringing up the fact that they were neurodivergent. So he was like, okay. He was like, I'm neurodivergent too um and so that upset a lot of people and people kind of ran with that and basically a bunch of stan twitter uh labeled him as ableist and basically said like he's problematic and a terrible person and he deleted now he's deleted a bunch of the tweets and he said like a like an apology but even then people are trashing that and being like oh you should have known better so it's kind of made this divide of like a bunch of international fans or really Western fans like want K-pop artists to have more independence to be able to have like freedom and let them speak their mind. And then an idol gets it and like behaves like a normal person. And then everybody kind of lashes out at him on that side. So it's kind of created like this internal argument about the whole topic.
2: I think it's, it's interesting. I've never really heard anyone use the phrase of like, oh, I'm neurodivergent as a way to say like, oh, I might not understand certain social cues. Um, mm-hmm. But hearing that, I'm not sure how I feel about it because neurodivergent encompasses so many different things. I mean, Priya, you're a health person, right? Mm-hmm. like, you know that that is such a broad term. Um, broad. So I do understand why like, again, we don't know what he was really thinking, but I would understand if maybe he was confused why that was brought up at all. And this kind of reminds me of the episode that Natalie and Sung Yoon and I did on Cancel Culture. It's like these people in the limelight um, really struggle to, like on the one hand, they're told to be themselves. And on the other hand, they're told to like, shut up. (laughs) So.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a big back and forth because it's like a bunch of people are saying like, it's hypocritical to say like, hey, we want like authenticity. And you get authenticity. And then all of a sudden, like you're trash. And then like, you're not even given like any grace to even, like, figure it out. Or if if you do make a mistake, you're not given the grace to, like, kind of fix it. Okay, speaking of stan Twitter, I think this is a great
0: transition into our couch convo. It's time for our couch conversation. Our couch convo for this week is about K-pop. So I think we're going to highlight a little bit about the background of K-pop, what it is, how the industry came to be, um... We'll talk a little bit about how we personally got into K-pop and what we like about K-pop and why we are low-key still stands to this day. Um, and we'll talk about how the K-pop industry is unique um, and some key components about why it's super popular now. And then we'll get into the down and dirty, the issues in the K-pop industry, which are a lot. So... I guess I'll start with explaining some of the background about what K-pop is. So K-pop is stands for Korean pop and it's this huge industry in South Korea where there are a lot of really popular artists and groups that have followings. And there, it is sort of an oligopoly where there's only a few like really, really big um, companies that manage a lot of these artists and groups. And it's essentially become a very, very, I think, internationally renowned thing because um of like the combination of the intro really intricate choreography, like very mainstream pop type music. Um, also the promotion is very like commodified where you will see these artists essentially on everything from like food to selling furniture. Um, and I think it's also really popular because a lot of these artists have very intense followings. So if you hear us say something like "stands," that's essentially what like a lot of these followers call themselves is their stand. So um, some, so if for example, like a group like BTS, which is a really famous international group, um, they'll have like B- "I stand BTS" or "I'm a BTS stand." Um, so chronologically, there's. I think arguably either three or four sort of generations of K-pop. The first iteration comes out of South Korea in the late nineties. Um, and that includes like HOT, Finkel, BOA, Rain, um, SES. These are groups that um, were popular in Asia at that time period, but this was before um, I think K-pop really globalized. So then you have the second generation, which is the groups that I listened to when I was in middle school. Um, I think this, <laughs> I would say this is, like, what, 2010s, like, earlier 2000s to mid-2000s. Yeah. So it's, like, Big Bang, Shiny, um, SN- SNSD or Girls' Generation, um, A-Pink, Miss A, Wonder Girls. Um, I think a lot of Asian Americans were more into, like, the second generation of um, these artists. I think it's definitely, like, in middle school. If you're not yeah. you, you at least know about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then there's the third generation. So third generation is way more recent. So Um, A lot of people use EXO as like before EXO and then after EXO. So EXO is a really, really popular South Korean group, but a lot of groups that debuted after EXO is considered third generation. So this is about um, 2015, I think. Um, So like Blackpink, EXO, Mamamoo, Monster X, GOT7, TWICE, Red Velvet, and BTS. Um, And now there's arguably a fourth generation of these like mega groups like NCT, or Itzy, or Stray Kids. And I don't really listen to fourth gen, like, K-pop. So do you guys want to elaborate a little bit more about what it is?
2: I actually think that fourth gen is, it's changing. Um, And this is the first generation where girl groups are not only, I mean, girl groups have always been, in general, more popular. But now the stands are more aggressively following girl groups rather than boy groups. Um, So now we see a lot of girl crush concepts, which basically just means, like, girls who are tough and the girl groups are now making content for girls instead of boys Mm -hmm. so you see a shift from like sexy and cute concepts to more like tough badass girls
1: yeah I think that really hits a nail on the head with the girl groups especially like they really do make stuff for like girls empowerment girls confidence geared towards a lot of younger girls too um, for the boy groups now, uh, I, their sound is really different than boy groups before them. Um, sometimes people like to call them construction music <laughs> because their their sound is just so, I don't know how to describe it. It's different. The beats are different. Um, and then also they have a lot of different and unique concepts that are popping up too. Um, so I think that's something that kind of sets fourth gen apart also.
0: I think that's also like a really defining characteristic of K-pop is like they're always concepts. Um it's like it's super weird like it's also part of the promotion where it's like each song that they put out will have a particular concept and then they'll hold on to that concept every time they perform that song at different stages and different like competitions and stuff. Um in the same way there is like there's like a different concept for some 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 groups use it, like, per song, there's a different concept. Mm-hmm. Or, like, per era, there's a different concept. Or per subgroup, there's a different concept. So it's, like, very interesting the way that they thematically, like, organize their music. It's kind of – it's very interesting. Right. Okay. So, Bria, how did you get into K-pop?
1: <laughs> it's so funny because I was thinking about it before – we started and I was like, how did I get into K-pop? Um, honestly, I think it started with Tumblr. Oh no. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it started with Tumblr. I think, cause you know, Tumblr, um, there are a lot of K-pop fans on Tumblr, which I didn't know at the time I was on there. I'm not on Tumblr anymore. But when I was on there, I didn't realize how big, like the K-pop community was on there. Um, but I think just as- aesthetic posts, like people making like GIFs of like different things from music videos and stuff. Um, I think like the first songs that I really liked were like songs from um, Shiny and songs from EXO, um, and I remember seeing like EXO's Lotto concept and everything being everywhere. Um, so I think I was listening listening casually then, but the group that really got me like listening to K-pop for real was probably uh, not even really the group. The song Momo Land had that song at the not- beginning of 2018. Boom, boom. Listen, okay, listen, listen. I'm not a Mo Land fan, but the oh song God. was catchy. The song was catchy. You cannot deny that. So you're kind of <laughs> new.
2: That's like a. That's like pretty recent.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. I literally started listening to K-pop in like 2017 with like EXO and Shinee, but then 2018 when it was really was like okay, hold on, like I'm invested. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they really got it started off because uh, I was just like impressed with the, I guess, the effort. It was just like, Mm -hmm. I feel like especially with Western artists, you don't really see that as much anymore. Like they're just kind of like, okay, here, take this music video if you get one. Uh, If I do a concert, okay, you're gonna get this little, you know, nice little song. Okay, I'm not even gonna dance. I'm not even gonna do whatever. But I feel like in K-pop they did so much extra and I was so impressed by that. And it just made me want to like get into the more and more and more and learn about more and more groups. So that was my start. What about y'all?
0: Um,
2: I am a third gen girl. Um, I, (laughs) I got into K-pop around 2015. Um, since like as an Asian American, I kind of like grew up with K-pop around me. Like all my friends were into it and I was, I just like made fun of them, but I knew about like all the top songs and the big groups and stuff. So I knew about like Shiny and Girls' Generation. I just like ignored it. But in 2015, um, my friend was really into EXO and she was like telling me about the drama when the group kind of like split up a little bit and fragmented and I was really into that cause I was like, wow, that's like really interesting. Um, so I started watching like some of the videos and stuff and I don't, I don't know if I should like reveal, <laughs> I don't know if I should like reveal the group that like really got me started cause it's kind of embarrassing. Okay, but like I used to be like a hardcore BTS fan and like I don't reveal that, um. But yeah, they were like my first really big group that I was into and I was so embarrassed. I hid it from everybody. I pretended that I didn't like K-pop and my friends, my friends were literally K-pop fans and I'd be like, I don't like K-pop. Like that's gross. But meanwhile, I like knew everything about BTS. (laughs) Um, But since then, like I, I haven't really followed them anymore, but I've been a lot more into like BTS was the really big boy group that I like. I kind of like Big Bang a little bit and kind of EXO. But other than that, I've more been into girl groups. So I very, I really much, I very much like Red Velvet. Um, I listened to Blackpink's album recently. Mama Moo is kind of cool, stuff like that. And even when I don't really follow girl groups, they're just like fun to watch. And I really appreciated how K-pop has shifted to like before girls recently. Um, I'm not really that into K-pop anymore, but like once you're in, it's hard to completely leave, you know what i
0: mean <laughs>
1: true
0: so i'm like old school old school into k-pop like i started listening to, i think i watched my first k-pop music video i remember it very clearly it's Shiny's lucifer which came Ooh, out like 2007 or 2008 like that's how old that it's music video so is weird <laughs> and i discovered it i think when i was like in fifth grade and I just remembered, like, wanting to learn the choreography so bad. SM, SM put out both their like music video and the choreography trained, like the choreography that they did in the training room. And I was like, "Why does this man move so smoothly? And like, how should I learn this dance?" So I just like listened to it on repeat, and then like "Ring Ding Dong" came out. I was like, "Oh my that. God. and then i discovered super junior you know there's like 12 of them and i was like yeah distinctly remembering being like i like you i like you i like you remembering their names going over all that shit like watching their them on variety different variety shows oh my god i was like why are y'all so hot these are like 20 year olds when i was like 10 or something (laughs) and then I watched a lot of like Girls Generation. Oh, I love Girls <laughs> Generation. I mean, who does yeah, it? Girls they're oh like they're so connect- well connected and they're also really funny, which is weird to me. Like they were all so funny. Um, so yeah, that's like I was really really into it. And then I just like I I remember EXO coming out coming out hot in high school, but then like I just kind of drifted out of it because so many new groups started coming online mm-hmm. and I just didn't think I could yeah. keep up. You know? <coughs> like I like twice red velvet got seven, like these are newer groups, but then like they, they, some of them were really, really young. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I can't keep up with this. There's too much stuff coming out. And I also started getting more into like um, KR and B and K hip hop, which is a little bit more underground. Yeah. Some like the more stuff. Um, You know, just because I was, I I needed to access my little hip, the internal hipster and (laughs) and underground stuff. But um, yeah, I still follow some um, K-pop stars. Like I follow a lot. I follow Mama Moo pretty religiously, but because it's like there are only four members, they're all like older women. So they're in their Mm -hmm. mid to late 20s, which is unusual for um, to be like sort of really active in the K-pop industry. But they're all like super talented and like really badass um yeah you know they're actually not that old they're
2: like i think they're younger they're younger they're than 23 yeah, but, like, yeah. yeah, i love 23. her but like their image is very mature that's why you think they're older because like, oh, yeah. well,
0: like solar is like 28 she's yeah she... right
2: oh Solar looks so young um but yeah so after we've talked about the things that we've liked about k-pop i think we should go on to like some of the nitty-gritty because there's definitely a reason You've seen so much weird shit around K-pop, like the fans and the toxicity, and we definitely have some opinions on that. But before we kind of get into that, we have to give a little bit of backstory. So Stephanie mentioned like the concepts and the thematic aspects of K-pop. Mm-hmm. Basically everything in K-pop is corporate. Um, none of these people were really artists who like worked hard. I mean, a lot of them did work hard to get to where they are, but for the most part, they auditioned at companies or they were scouted by companies and they train for, like, years. Starting from around, like, age 13, sometimes younger, people just train for years. And, like, there's a possibility they might never become an idol. They just, like, have to be lucky. And during the training process, like, it's a whole combination of, like, you know, changing your body, plastic surgery, getting your makeup slash hair done, exercise, dancing slash singing slash rapping lessons, like, every day, and um, I think the trainees do get paid, but it's like a very low salary and they live in pretty bad conditions. The idea is that once you debut in an actual group, that's when you start to get good treatment. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, in the true. same way, there's like schools um, that mm-hmm. put out specifically like um, like K-pop artists or they have schools built up for you to enter into the trainee system. Um, you're, you essentially dorm... Um, with other trainees as a part of a, as part of a company. So the company really owns you. Um, They also control a lot of like what you eat, um, what you can do, your social media activities, because you're not like a person, essentially you're a representation of that company. Um, And also they, I think they teach you like multiple languages. So you are, um, I guess you look, you're more advertisable to um, other spaces because a lot of like, your work when you debut will also be in like America, traveling around Asia, um, that kind of stuff. So you need to know like multiple languages as well.
2: And everything is like a brand. So the K-pop idols themselves, they are definitely a brand. A lot of their friendships are also a brand. Like you can't always tell whether it's a manufactured relationship or whether it's genuine. I think that's why a lot of people like BTS because at first they were like, oh, these people are genuine. And it feels very different from the way that some other groups interact i think there were two members of shiny who have like come out and said yeah we didn't like each other for like two years um so some of those relationships aren't real um you're the way that you look it's not how you want to look it's how the fans like you to look in your company like they they get survey results or they look at social media to figure out what fans like and then they make you look that way and you don't really get to have freedom in your music or in your appearance until you've reached a certain level of success and a lot of times, people never get to that level of success. It's really difficult, too. Um, but companies also control like uh, your access to cars, whether you're allowed to date or not, because most idols aren't allowed to date in the beginning of their careers. Um, and a lot there have, <laughs> there's been a lot of scandal in terms of abuse within companies, overworking their idols, um, not feeding them. Uh, like shaming their bodies a lot of like body shaming things like that
0: andy from Mm -hmm. red velvet which got really really skinny for a minute there we're all yeah Yeah.
2: eating disorders are totally a thing in k-pop um you know especially among the women but also among the men and there's like kind of gross fan service sometimes i've seen a lot less of this recently because i think that in general the international perspective has become kind like of more on now. yeah i think yeah. people have like started to call that out more but you know previously there'd be a lot of weird fan service where like idols pretend to like i'm like grossed out just thinking about it but like they pretend to be like they joke about like being into each other just mm-hmm. because they know the fans like it
1: yeah that's a huge that's a huge thing but like you said it has fallen apart a lot because of like international fandoms kind of frowning on it on it and not really being into it and calling out for what it is it being fake um so i guess we'll use that to segue kind of talking into fandoms in k-pop and what makes fandoms in k-pop so special um so in k-pop they put a lot of emphasis on fandoms and making them like special and unique to each individual group um, so each fan will have things like they'll have colors, they'll have a name for like for example, uh whenever Stephanie was talking about like BTS stands, or luis was talking about how she was like BTS, so she used to okay, be what's called army No, I never called that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah bts fans are considered like army just embrace it louise you're army no. right you were an army oh my god it's okay, okay. <laughs> um blackpink fans are called blinks. yeah i okay. sure blinks um, XO fans are called X O L. Mama Moo fans are called Moo um, <laughs> So, yeah, every fandom has its own special name. They have these things called light sticks, which I don't even know how to like a baton. I guess you would describe they're it like, like Yeah,
0: baton. they're batons that light up and you wave them around at concerts. The Mama Moo light stick is a radish because, like, like, Moo is radish in Korean. Yeah, so like, we wave around little radishes it's so cute they're
2: like all custom <laughs> designed to the group um right. they, like, they light up and yeah it's a lot of weird stuff
0: it's not weird louise it's cute i've never
2: it been like I, I this is the part that i like rejected when i was a big fan of k pop um <laughs> but yeah like Sometimes you'll see fandom wars. Um, So I think when, you know, Blackpink and Twice, two really big girl groups, they debuted around the same time. And for a while, there were a lot of uh, Twice fans called Once, I think. Once? Yeah. Yeah, like all the the Onces, they were like kind of making fun of Blackpink and then all the Blackpink blinks were making fun of Twice. And it's just like, a lot of the toxicity comes from that.
0: (sighs) Okay. So a lot of like, people would ask like there are such big groups like where are these fights even like manifested and everything is literally on twitter there's a yeah. subsect of twitter called stan twitter and that's where like either in the y- comments of youtube videos or on stan twitter is where, like, where i see it, yeah these groups will just like hash it out and be like once is like blah 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 and then they'd be like like f like f blinks or like screw blackpink or something like that and so there's like this like mass of just people on Twitter fighting about K-pop stuff and the in- within the industry but so stan Twitter is simultaneously super scary and like toxic but also they can harness their power to do amazing things. For example, a lot of stan Twitter, like American stan Twitter, they like bought out a Trump rally so that people wouldn't go to it. They like just bought out all the tickets. Um, I think they also, during, like, the a lot of the BLM stuff over the summer, they would, like, they flooded a call line for a police department. So they couldn't, like, get videos or clips of people, like, rioting and um, people, like, protesting and that kind of stuff. Um, so they really do use their powers for good sometimes.
2: I think, like, the best example is when... Um- I think it was like BTS fans, but it might have been other fandoms as well. They raised like $1 million for like during the height of the BLM protests.
1: Yeah, because BTS donated a million dollars. And then their fans and then like matched, went it. And matched it. Yeah, they went and matched it on there. And then apparently John Cena matched it too. Apparently John no Cena. No way. No, John Cena
0: is dope as fuck. He's fluent in Chinese. He like does it. He's dope. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so yeah, while there's a lot of good that can be done, there is a lot of harm and a lot of conflict, like every day, every, every single day it's nonstop. Um, so it's just, it's a mixed bag, to be honest, and Twitter, but I guess we I agree. Already.
0: I agree. And Sand Twitter is so scary sometimes because when they're like coming after a person or an idol or something they like they don't re- they don't stop. Sand Twitter does not play like that. Like they will come after these people. Like I know a lot of Sand Twitter sometimes will like dox people. It's really oh looked down in, in yeah, the community. They dox people
1: often like dox But they do really yeah, it's super yeah. common. Um, And even then, like, it doesn't just manifest on Twitter. Like, if it starts on Twitter, it'll escalate outside of Twitter. Like, there have been people who, have like, they've come after who literally they'll go on, like, take them off of Instagram, take them off of Tumblr. Like, they'll come across Black mm-hmm. and get them on everything. And it could be something, like, not even that serious. But if they take it that serious, like, it's over with. That's why you'll never hear me say anything bad about BTS on on social media or whatever. Never, I will never be caught slipping like that. (laughs) They will come for you and they will find you.
2: Um, But in addition to the powers of stan Twitter, there are also a lot of other issues within the K-pop industry that we're gonna talk about. This part um, is kind of hard to stomach. So just a warning or caution. Um, so we did. But,
0: yeah, we'll do some tr- trigger warnings for what se- sexual assault, suicide, um, self harm, colorism.
2: It's like a, just like a, so many things. And we kind of already touched upon the abuse within the industry, like, you know, within the companies. Um, but there is a lot more. So let's start with talking about anti blackness and colorism, which I would say is pretty common within like Asia in general. But you definitely see it a lot within K pop. So um, idols, especially the girls, but all idols in general, are expected to be like very pale. And those who aren't pale are really shamed for it. I mean, skin whitening products are very popular. Um, and once in a while you'll see like the idols joking amongst themselves, and they'll like sometimes call their darker, like darker skinned um co-workers like not just like they just don't say nice things I think some of them have said like oh you look like a monkey before and things like that um you also mm-hmm. see like some k-pop idols have done blackface and I know that you know I don't think actually I'm not sure G dragon has he I didn't know that yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: g-dragon Mama, mamamoo um I think a bts member but I can't remember which one uh there's a, actually a lot to be honest There's are like really a is, list of yeah. them who have done blackface unfortunately
2: and i don't think that korea has like that same history with blackface as the u.s does but it's still not okay um and it, it is they are coming from like a different place like they're coming from a different place than all of us so i i honestly i don't know how you feel about this but you know if it's like a one-time thing and then they realize that they did something really terrible and they apologize and like you know, really try hard to make reparations somehow and really condemn the act, then I would be kind of more forgiving. But there are some people who are repeat offenders and they really just don't ever learn or they'll apologize and they'll do it again. And that really doesn't sit well with me.
0: I think it's just particularly challenging because Korea is such a homogenous country Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's kind of difficult to situate what blackness means for them when they don't really have a history um, of like, of a black, having a Black populace like the U.S. does um, in the same way in the same way it's just like they want to have whiter skin but also in a lot of their music they co-opt like hip-hop, rap, a lot yeah. of like Black culture um, which is a really interesting dichotomy and I think it's at this point, it's really inexcusable because, like, they know the way that K pop is globalized if they are utilizing these forms of music that are popularized in other countries. Like, hip hop and rap is like an American thing. And a lot of like Korean groups will utilize aspects of hip hop and rap to because they know that it's like globally appealing. Um, So, if they understand sort of like the global appeal of K pop, I think they should also be cognizant of the way that like race plays a really strong role into like the work that they're creating. But at the end of the day, like it's all like all of the K-pop industry is all really commodified. And so I don't think they give two shits. They are just going to make what really sells well.
1: I think I honestly agree. I think also like for me, like as a black fan, like when I see it, I like straddle that line of like, When I see it happen, I'm like, it's always like an eye roll moment of like, ugh. And I kind of give that grace of being like, okay, are you going to apologize and make that change? Or are you going to keep doing what you do? So like for the idols that like are repeat offenders, I'm just like, nah, like you've been told, you know, you've done the apology once or twice, but you keep doing the same thing. Um, But there's like this weird relationship when it comes to like blackness and K-pop, also with the companies. Like themselves, because there are a lot of moments like since like a lot of idols can't even control like their styling or things like that. There'll be a lot of things of like appropriation of black culture. So it'll be like the faux locks, the cornrow, box braids, um, this, that and the third that'll pop up on idols. um, And usually it ends up on the darker skin idol in the group. So I know, like EXO's Kai, like they had him in corn rolls, they had him do faux locks, they had him do all that, and he was the only one. It was never any other member. Like it was always only him. And the same thing I think happened with NCT with one of their I can't remember his name, but one of their like tan members. Like he was also the one. Um. So I think I just try to give them the grace, but at the same time, it's like if you're a repeat, repeat offender, I'm like kind of like Stephanie said, it's like you they know. Like after multiple occurrences, like you know, but it's just like you basically have chosen just be like well it's not going to negatively affect me anyway especially for groups who are more popular in korea than internationally it's like if it's not going to hurt your pockets then it's kind of like okay then why change
2: i kind of wonder if some groups really do know because i feel like okay when mama moo did blackface i don't really know a lot about that um but they do have a very international fan base um but I feel like companies like SM in general, even though a lot of their groups are very popular internationally, SM handles basically all their business in Asia. And you know, compared to like JYP or YG, two other really big companies, like all their videos are subbed in English, right? But SM is super slow with English subs. I feel like in general, they don't really try to grow an international fan base. So I'm wondering whether they really do see the comments that are like, this is really bad and you shouldn't do this. Because I mean, i think sm is you know very money driven and i don't know that they would really care about the opinions of the international fans because they do so well in asia
1: right i think something that's unique about sm that a lot of people like don't know um is that sm actually has a lot of black employees like compared to other k-pop like groups like i think i'm not k-pop groups k-pop companies i think they have the most black employees um they have a lot of black employees that work on their music so like a lot of like of a lot of their demos, a lot of their producers and everything, a lot of them are black. Um, So I always find it weird. Like I, like I get like SM mainly does their business in Asia. And so like, there's that difference, but at the same time, I find it weird because they have like black employees who are very publicly known to be their employees, like in their network, but it's never really touched on or it's never really talked about or it's never really like addressed and apologies or things like that. It's kind of like, SM has a, like a bad habit of kind of letting things skirt. Like, it's like, Oh, it's controversy. And they kind of like, let it lie by let people forget. And they just kind of go on to the next thing.
0: I think it also becomes particularly challenging. Like there are a good amount of like black folk and people moving to Korea because they like Korean culture a lot. And you see a lot of like, um, also mixed race kids in Korea, um, as like a post-Korean war sort of relic where there are a lot of like mixed kids in, that live in Korea. And it's really challenging like for a lot of mixed race people who want to enter the K-pop industry mm-hmm. and they happen to mixed Korean and black. But because of how rampant a lot of anti-blackness and colorism is in the K-pop industry, like they're never going to get a chance to access the trainee system or even like become idols. Like no company want, really wants to invest or sign on like a lot of, Black actually black people, even mm-hmm. though a lot of their production and their aesthetic, all that kind of stuff, like is driven by blackness. Right. Shall we move on to the next part about sexism and sexual assault in the K pop industry?
2: <sighs> yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. I don't think we can talk about this without talking about the the rising sun slash big bang scandal.
1: Bria, if you wanna if you wanna give us a little context. Of course I would be the one to get the context. <laughs> um so yeah, so this scandal was basically um with one of their members Sungri. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. 2018, 2018, 2019. Yeah. I think it was 2019. I think that was last year. Time is an illusion at this point. Super recent, I think it was last yeah. year. Um, So basically he and I believe three other uh, male idols were found to have like a group chat. And so in this group chat, they were sharing like private videos of them, like actually like uh, assaulting women or having sex with women. Um, and then also it kind of expanded. And the reason why it's called the Rising Sun Scandal is because Sungry had a club called, um, I believe the name Sun, of the club was right? Burning Sun. Burning Sun, I said Rising Sun. Burning Sun Scandal. Um, yeah, and the name of the club was Burning Sun. And in that club, a lot of, um, because in, for context in Korea, prostitution is illegal. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, like evidence of prostitution occurring in the club, of um, trafficking, happening in the club, and then also assaults happening in the club and actually caught on video and of them being aware and using this club kind of like as their space to, um, find, uh, victims to assault. Uh, and so it all came out and it all blew up. And so two of the other men have been, uh, charged and sentenced to jail time. Um, for some reason that's still unknown. Hungary was apparently not charged with, um, some of the other things that the other idols were charged with but he was charged with uh some other smaller um charges that he was found not guilty of in court but then he went in to do his mandatory enlistment for the military but now charges have been brought back up again for him to be facing in military court so we'll see how that goes
2: yeah and military judgments I think are usually harsher um yeah and it's like you know Bria mentions that it was three idols but it was really like you know these are the people that we know and who are in the limelight but there are definitely a ton more other people like rich people who we don't know about and aren't public figures that were also involved and you know a lot of these people maybe they didn't like necessarily do the assault but they still like facilitated it or allowed it to happen or like procured the supplies necessary for it to happen Um, and it just like this was really eye opening for a lot of Korean people because like you know sexism of course, has existed there and everywhere for a long time, but it's always been something that um, most Korean people have been pretty hesitant to talk about. You know, like, the word feminism wasn't really uh, liked. It was kind of like in 2012 in the U.S. when everyone was, like, feminazi and, like, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think after this scandal blew up, people kind of realized, like, wow, we really have a problem here in this country. And, like, since then, there has been... I think increased support of feminism in general in the country. But the fact is like, this is one really big scandal that happened, but it's very possible that there are other similar things happening in the industry right now. You know, um, the only reason we know about this is because they got caught. So who are the people who didn't get caught? Right. And like, there has also been talk of um, different companies sometimes like the employees will be abusing their idols because their idols basically have nothing. Um and you know a few years ago or not a few years ago but maybe like a decade ago, there was this really popular K drama called Boys Over Flowers where one of the leading ladies um committed suicide because a lot of the employees on the set were uh I I can't remember exactly but they were I think they were blackmailing her or assaulting her and it was really, really terrible. Um this kind of stuff all really gets covered up by the glitz and glam of the branding of K-pop and the industry, but it's definitely a very present underlying thing.
0: Right. I think this also functions as a really good transition into talking about sort of the pressure that a lot of K-pop stars face to the point where there have been like multiple suicides and multiple deaths of K-pop idols over the past couple of years. And these aren't like K-pop idols who are currently, or who were currently like very much in the spotlight at the prime of their careers, but they were idols who were sort of old on the older side. So in their late twenties, moving into their thirties, who had had just so who had been in the industry for over a decade and were so had so much pressure for such a long time that they essentially just broke. So uh, there's a member of F- FX named um, Suli. Um, who else? Um, I mean, guy, yeah who from shiny John what's his name yeah John Kim from shiny who was like produced started to produce his own music was putting out stuff that he actually wanted to put out for himself and even then was just like so sick and tired of like being essentially watched and stalked and like all this other stuff like that comes with being an idol um I think Louise mentioned oh yeah Guhara um, Louise mentioned that person from boys over flowers and it's just like the culmination of simultaneously abuse from the professional industry side combined with the pressure of being sort of in the limelight all the time. And I think also, um, what p- comes into play is like Korean use of social media, um, the netizens that's what they're called. So like citizens on the net, um, are like super, I think aggressive. Um, they criticize a lot. They're watching your every move. They're like, um, I know that like a lot of Korean like um, websites are like always really popping, um, and mm-hmm. I think like the the use of the internet is such a big thing in Korea where it's like there's all this
1: judgment all the time and there's like no privacy at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and being hypercritical is like been so become so normalized, like in K-pop like culture too. Like people will say horrible things and be like not give idols like as an idol in the way that they're branded. They are branded to be perfect. Like they are not allowed to have like flaws in any way, shape or form. So when they do show that human side of them, it comes back to bite them hard. And I know that's something that happened to uh, Sully a lot. Mm -hmm. The fact that Sully throughout her entire career was like beat down and harassed by commenters from like start to finish. Like she never got any moment to really breathe and relax. She even took a hiatus, I think, for like what, like two years. Like she like, she, she, like even... left
2: the K-pop industry. Um, she like left her group and she was going to be an actress. Um, and but like the whole time, I think her photo shoot started getting like more scandalous, and she openly mm-hmm. called herself a feminist, and people really hated that.
1: Right. Yeah. And like. Yeah, quickly
2: like jump in. Like, you know, I didn't really follow any of these people, but one person that I do really love is Taeyeon from Girls Generation. Um, mm-hmm. and like there were rumors around like the middle of her career that she was depressed. And um there there's a lot of rumors of like idols being depressed. Like we see Jenny from Blackpink, she all of a sudden, you know, she got kind of lazy in her dancing, and everybody really just railed on her for it because they're like, People are paying for your concerts, and that's true. But on the other hand, you know, she doesn't really have any control over her life. And what if she had had some sort of mental illness happening? Like, there's no room to
0: suffer. Yeah. Well, like CL from 21, she was getting her antidepressants from, like, a different country. And then everyone thought that she was part of a drug smuggling ring or something and just started, like, sending her hate mail. And she, like, had to take a break for a year. I think TOP from big bang was like smoking weed or was caught smoking Mm -hmm. weed. And he also got like railed on for a while too. And it's just these small mistakes. And in the case of CL, like not even mistake, right. Yeah. Where everybody is so hypercritical that they just like, will keep like harassing you and essentially like boot you from the industry and your company, like they'll let that happen because like, if the fans don't like you, you're not making the money. So what's the point of having you around?
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Before we so, wrap up, let me say one more thing. Okay. Um, back to Taon, who I love. I just, like, remembered a quote that she had said once, which I think, like, someone was, like, oh, if you had kids, you know, would you let them join the K-pop industry? And she was, like, never. Like, I would never let anybody, any of my children join this industry. Like, it is way too terrible um, to let someone do that. So that's kind of a grim concluding on this segment.
0: So to sum up we all like love k-pop but also we hate k-pop Ooh. <laughs> okay so we are going to transition into our final p segment which is ask the cwe uh i should probably ask the
1: cwe
2: all right everyone so for today's ask the CW question we have tyson from provo who asks there's a stigma that guys aren't supposed to talk about their skincare routines but i'm interested in building one what is your skincare routine and how can i deal with the pressure of emasculation
0: i love skincare so i can answer this question <laughs> so i recommend following a korean skincare routine which is like, nine steps, and it's pretty intense, but it's really focused on hydrating and protecting and healing your skin, while I know a lot of, like, um, American or Western rhetoric is focused on, like, um, like stripping your skin of oil or, like, killing the acne, and it's, like, a very, de- it's, like, very destructive um, for your skin, and so I highly recommend Googling, like, Korean skincare basics, um, but I really, like, highly recommend focusing on a skincare um, regimen that's focused on sort of hydration and healing. And also if your skin is super oily, it's most likely because you're stripping it of like um, of its natural oil. So it tends to overproduce oil. So your skin might actually be really dry. And a second recommendation that I have is always double cleansing. So you should use an oil-based cleanser and then a regular cleanser because like, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're like putting SPF on your skin every day or like a a moisturizer. And there's also like a lot of oil and dirt and grime and like a regular soap or a regular cleanser is not going to like grip that oil and take it off. But an oil-based cleanser will actually like grip the SPF, grip like whatever moisturizer, whatever dirt and build it, you have take it off. And then you wash again with a, um, like a water-based cleanser. Because you like oil is like only oil soluble, so you need something oil based to take it off. Mm. Period.
2: Very good First. information <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, on okay. This, okay.
0: Wait, what are your skincare roots? Hello. What are, <laughs> what are your recommendations?
2: Um, I was just going to say, yeah, focus on hydration. Um, I don't know. I was going to focus more on that emasculation detail. It's really weird that skincare is like gendered. Um, mm-hmm. Like why is having good skin for women? You know, like <laughs> other people can have good skin too. Um, So yeah, you know, if you're really embarrassed about it, you don't have to tell people. But in the end, you know, you're going to be the one with good skin.
0: Can I oh. add something? Sorry, right, go ahead. Um, also make sure you're wearing SPF every day. Sunscreen is important and the sun is like your enemy.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. For Bria, yeah, what's your skincare routine? Listen, I just use, I cleanse once. I use a toner. Um, you do the double cleansing. I do. I just do a nice, uh, face wash. I use toner. Um, I always recommend, what is it? I can't remember. one that GNC. It's like, Oh, which hazel, which hazel, which hazel is a toner. Um, and then I just put on some regular SPF on the day out. If, uh, if it's nighttime, cause I always cleanse in the morning and at night. Um, I just put on like a nice like moisturizer just to sleep. My skin, I don't do all that extra stuff. I just do, you know, the regular three steps, three steps and get it done. <laughs> um, if you have acne, your acne products are going to take a long
0: time to work. So give it like two months and then switch it up if it doesn't work after two months. But after two months, you should start seeing a difference. Sorry, I just keep like remembering all these little skincare tidbits that I want to share with everybody. We can, um, we can
1: see. Yeah. Maybe you should write a blog about that. Do I a love podcast so about skincare. <laughs> I love
0: skincare so much. Okay. So this concludes our episode of k-pop and the k-pop industry for our couch conversation and our sort of answer to your ask the cbe question brea you want to close this out with a nice quote
1: from the bridge called my back sure so this is a quote like stephanie said from um bridge called my back Um, To finally recognize your own invisibility is to finally be on the path toward visibility. And visibility is not a natural state for anyone. Missy Yamada.
0: Thank you, Bria. So this concludes our episodes of Couch Conversations. Thank you for coming to join us. Um, And we hope you maybe start listening to some K-pop. Bye. Bye. Bye.